Lord, we thank you, God, that you called us to abide in you, for knowing, God, that apart from you, we can do nothing. So I pray, God, that we would humble ourselves yet again this morning, and that, God, we would have, God, such a desire to seek you with our whole heart, 
Knowing, God, that if we seek you, we will find you. We seek you with our whole heart. I pray, God, as we open your word, that we would be encouraged, Father. But above all, Father, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers. That we truly would be those who have been born again, those who have made a bold confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that we believe that you rose from the dead. God, that we would be your witnesses on, upon this earth, sharing the good news, living out the freedom that is found only in Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it is living by God's power. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, but it's living by God's power. Now, let's go real quick to 2 Timothy. No, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Everyone get to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I was thinking today as I was praying about opening up the word with everyone today, how good it is that believers can come together, have the word in front of them, open it. It's like iron sharpening iron using the weapon that the Lord has given us, His Word, to be able to exalt Him and to trust in the fact that His Word is a living Word. So, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. You need to see this. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last days, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. Did we hear that this morning? Do we see that? It's happening in our generation. It's been happening. But it's happening at a greater level. And it will continue to happen at a greater level as the days are approaching to His return. Now the Holy Spirit tells us. Who tells us? The Holy Spirit. Clearly, that in the last time, some will turn away from the true faith. Faith that is found in Christ and Christ alone. Making a bold confession and belief. And yet, they fall away. They fall away. They turn. They're in the church one day and out the next. Living selfish lives. A question for us today. Did you wake up this morning believing the truth that is found in the living word of God? Did you wake up believing in Christ and in Christ alone. Are you in agreement with Christ? His truth. 
His way. His life. Because if you didn't, then you're in agreement with Satan's lies. Who are you in agreement with today? You must monitor and check your heart every single day. And as you're going through your day, who are you in agreement with? Jesus? The way, the truth, the life? Or Satan? The father of lies. Deceptive. A destroyer. He's a killer. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And in the last days, many people will turn from the true faith and look at what they begin to follow. Deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Oh, if we don't believe, God help us to believe in what the Word of God teaches us about spiritual warfare. Listen, we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. Your problems aren't with people. Your problems are with the rulers and the principalities and the air and the darkness. And a realm that we cannot see, but we know that's there. Because we know even before Christ, we submitted to it. You're being led by something. Someone. Oh, we need to wake up. We just cannot be people who do a lot of talk. Sitting in church, church in and out all of our lives. And it's just a lot of talk. But there's no power. How sad. How sad. That this is what's here, is what's been, and what's coming upon us. At a greater level, the enemy knows that his time is almost up. These deceptive spirits, these demons, are seeking whom they may devour. Whispering in people's ears. Conjuring up crazy thoughts, crazy things. <laughs> and those that once were in are now out. Oh, we better be mindful, you all. Lest we end up just like them. We better be praying for them. You better be a praying people, you all. You better be able to stand up. And you say, well, I'm not at that place. Get to that place. Stop making excuses for your immature Christian life. We don't have time anymore. We don't have time. The hour is urgent. People are perishing. If you're lacking in your life as a Christian, then get involved to where you are sharpening your disciplines by connecting first with Christ and then with others. Then with others. Learn how to not just be someone who has a lot of talk. 
learn to walk in the power of your resurrected Savior, Jesus. Go to Colossians chapter 2 real quick. Colossians 2. Oh, you've got to see this. Verse 13 through 15. Colossians 2, verse 13 through 15. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. This is before Christ. You were dead. There's no life in you because your old sinful nature was not yet cut away. Now get this picture. That is you before Christ. Dead and your nature was the nature of just one who was in complete rebellion towards God and His kingdom. You were a sinner. That was your nature. That is how you lived. That is how you moved. That is how you thought. That's how you talked. That's how you were. It was you. And there was no hope in that nature. Then God. Oh, can we just say, then God. Made you alive with Christ. For He forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to His cross. Look what he did. Then God, not because you did anything, has nothing to do with you, but God. But God. Then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Look at verse 11 real quick. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. Do you know what Christ did? Look what it says there. The cutting away of your sinful nature. And yet somehow, as I was saying last week, somehow we think and somehow the, the, the deceptive spirits and the demons have crept in to the church to make us believe that Christ has not won. Because aren't we all just sinners? It's all we're ever going to do is sin. But Jesus loves me. I'm just a sinner. Oh, but God loves me. Yes, we will still sin. But it is not to be mastering us. And we don't make excuses for our sin. No, God is pleased to bring us to repentance. Repentance. 
That old nature, if we're in Christ, do we not get this? That old nature has been cut away. That's how you're to get up every day and to think and to live. Wait a minute, what am I doing? I don't belong here anymore. No, why is this coming out of my mouth? No, I shouldn't be speaking this way. No, why are these thoughts going through my head? No, wait a minute, how does he transform me? By changing the way I think. Like you seek him. You apply truth that would transform your life. Not of anything that you're doing, but all that Christ has already done. He's cut that old nature away, so stop yoking yourself to it. You yoking yourself to that old nature makes him a liar. And there you dare think that you're going to stand before him and give your excuses of why you remained yoked to a nature that he has already cut away. Oh, we got to wake up. We got to stop believing the lies because look at the verse 15. In this way, in what way? Look back at 14. He canceled the record of charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, please hear this. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Oh, we should just stop there for today and just celebrate the victory that is found in Jesus. But what happens to us when we get up from this place? Oh, don't you dare think that the enemy isn't out to devour you. You carry Christ's victory that publicly shamed him. Christ is victorious over him and over that old nature. Look at what's being promoted in the churches today. It's all about you. Me, myself, and I. And if it isn't, then you offend me, poor me, poor me, poor me, and bad church. And the devil's running amok. And we're all just marching around. Onward, Christian soldier. So burdened, so defeated. What is this? This is not the God in whom we are reading and understanding that we've committed ourselves to, that we've surrendered our life to because our eyes have been opened to such great love. Like you loved us way before we can even turn to love you. You're just seeking to have us as your people for no other reason because of your great love. Think about the decisions you're making. Think about the things that you're doing. Think about your life. If it isn't honoring to him, what on earth? God help us. Again, it's not about living a perfect life. 
Everyone's like, oh, well, that's what all you preachers, we always have to be perfect, we have to be perfect. No, no one's saying you have to be perfect. But be godly. Get up from your sin. Stop being entangled to it. Stop making it its ma- the master over your life. Stop just doing a lot of talk about Jesus and the things of his kingdom and not experience the fullness of his power. Like, this is good stuff. This is liberation. This is freedom. As we're seeing it played out before us. Like, do we not get that? I keep reminding y'all, y'all are waking up behind enemy lines. That this living word is being lived out right before our eyes. Darkness is advancing. But as the church, we don't retreat. No, we burn brighter. Because we say, come Lord Jesus, come. That we understand what is against us each and every single day, but we understand that God, Christ is already victorious over it. So walk with your head up. Walk dressed for battle. Don't you dare fall and stay down. Get up. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Christ is victorious. Christ is victorious, you all. And others around you need to see that. Understand what I just said. They need to see it. They don't need to hear it. Because they don't need you to be just a talker. Oh, God bless me. God. And then you have nothing in your life. People need to see the power of God. You once were, but now you are. You once were this an hour ago, but here you are an hour later. You're different. Like you're just living afresh and anew. You're not living up to man's standards. You're living up to God's standards. And God's standard is holiness. We are to be a people. You are to be an individual that is set apart for God. Go to Leviticus chapter 22. Oh, I hope you all are seeing it as we're going through the Old Testament. God's plan, you all. Like I can't keep saying it over and over and over to us. Oh, I love the message from Friday night. And if you need to, go back and listen to it because I posted it. It's short, but it's good. And what really encouraged me about this pastor, he said, listen, the same message I preached when I was 22 is the same message I'm still preaching when I'm 60-something. Truth, God's Word doesn't change. It's the same. Now, man wants to change it. Those deceptive lying spirits, those demons want to come in and promote a new teaching. But there's no, no. It is what it is. It's the living word. It's the truth. And it's not changing. God, you all, longs to be with us. Do we get that? I know we, 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 we made him out to be this mean, malicious, unjust God. But those are the lies. Those are those deceptive spirits that make him out that way. He is a loving God. He is a just God. 
He has set standards in place that He alone meets. Do you understand that? Like, He hasn't called us to a life to live that's not livable. Oh, the only person that could be holy is Jesus. Yes! But aren't you in Christ? (laughs) If Christ is in you, then Christ is working in and through you to make you a new creation because that old nature has been cut away to bear witness to Him. Not to you, but to Him. This Christian life can be lived. But we have to understand the Christian life. In this world, you will have trouble. You are going to suffer. You are going to be persecuted. You are going to be hated. You are going to be talked about. You will be beaten. They will drag you out into the streets and kill you thinking they're doing the will of God. Who in their fleshly mind signs up for that? You wouldn't. But someone who's been born again will because they recognize this earth is not my home. I've got one purpose to live for. And his name is Jesus. For his kingdom, for his glory, by his power. Or you need to remind yourself every single day. And it could be at times a lonely walk. It could be a discouraging walk. But we, get, we don't give up. You press in. Because Christ is our example. He's already walked it before us, you all. He's not calling us to something that He hasn't already provided for. Let us hear that. Let us remember that every day. Unless we keep looking at the standard of holiness and say... I can't. You're right. You can't. He knows that. That's why he came. That's why he stripped them and publicly humiliated Satan and these demons. He stripped them of their power. Oh, that's enough to get excited about. So we see here Back in the Old Testament, he's setting the people aside for himself. Remember, the whole purpose is so that the other nations will know that he is God. He's setting them aside for himself so that the Messiah would come through Jesus. And so as you're reading through the Old Testament, look for Jesus. He's hidden among the scriptures. Pointing to the one who's coming to strip and to humiliate the enemy that deceived Adam and Eve. Remember, God told the serpent, Oh, there's going to come a day. You won't know the day. <laughs> oh, but he'll come. All through history. God was making a way. Satan was being stirred up 
trying to get ahead of God to kill off this offspring. He murdered a slew of young boys. He raised up rulers. Satan did. But we must remember that all that has been done, God knew. God knows exactly what the enemy is doing. And you say, well, then why would a God allow evil? For his purpose, you all. To glorify himself. And people go, well, I don't like that then. Well, that's you. (laughs) Who are you to question what God allows? Because like I told you before, like when people go try to go toe-to-toe with me and they want to say this, they want to say that about God, I just point them back to the cross. Like you're so focused on this, this, and this, and that, why don't you turn your focus off that and turn your focus to the cross because God himself laid himself down. What God would do that for a creation that is totally in rebellion towards him. So before you want to start bickering and questioning God, why don't you start with that question? Why would God come down in a form of man to lay his life down for a creation that hates him? To fulfill his purpose from the beginning to have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God it won't just be lip service no they will be his people they will be his bride without spot or blemish she will be perfect she will be holy She will be set apart. She's not running around with all the lovers. She's not a whore. She is pure. I'm keeping myself for my groom because he's coming for me. Oh, we got to wake up, you all. We got to wake up. We got to prepare. He's returning. Chapter 22, verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, Give Aaron and his sons all and all the Israelites these instructions which apply both to native Israelites and to the foreigners living among you. If you present a gift as a burnt offering to the Lord, whether it is to fulfill a vow or is voluntarily offering, you will be accepted only if your offering is a male animal with no defects. It may be a bull, a ram, or a male goat. Do not present an animal with defects because the Lord will not accept it on your behalf. If, if you present a peace offering to the Lord from the herd or the flock, whether it is to fill, fulfill a vow or, is to voluntarily, or a voluntarily offering, you must offer a perfect animal. It may have no defect of any kind. 
You must not offer an animal that is blind, crippled, or injured, or that has a wart, a skin sore, or scab. Such animals must never be offered on the altar as a special as a special gift to the Lord. If a bull or lamb has a leg that is too long or too short, it may be offered as a voluntary, voluntary offering, but it may not be offered to fulfill a vow. If an animal has a damaged test has damaged testicles or is castrated, you may not offer it to the Lord. You must never do this in your own land, and you must not accept such an animal from foreigners and then offer it as a sacrifice to your God. Such animals will not be accepted on your behalf, for they are mutilated or defective. And the Lord said to Moses, When a calf or lamb or a goat is born, it must be left with its mother for seven days. From the eighth day on, it will be acceptable as a gift to the Lord. But you must not slaughter a mother animal and her offspring on the same day, whether from the herd or the flock. When you bring a thanksgiving offering to the Lord, sacrifice it properly so you will be accepted. Eat the entire sacrificial animal on the day it is presented. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. I am the Lord. You must faithfully keep all my commands by putting them into practice, for I am the Lord. Do not bring shame, look at this, on my holy name, for I will despise, I'm sorry, For I will display my holiness among the people of Israel. I am the Lord, look at this, who makes you holy. It was I who rescued you from the land of Egypt, that I might be your God. I am the Lord. Look what it says there. So this offering had to be the best you had. Here God is clarifying that no matter the reason for the sacrifice offered, the standard of that sacrifice should reflect God's nature, not the nature of the giver or the occasion of the gift. In Romans 12:1, we are to live lives that are holy and then present ourselves holy to the Lord as living sacrifices. We just can't bring what we want to bring. Here, God, have it. Here's my leftovers. Or here's what I I don't have nothing to do with, so I give it to you. No, the standard is holiness. And now we and the new covenant are to be the living sacrifices. Nothing's changed. The standard hasn't changed. We just can't just come and, 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 and give of, of our resources, of our, of our tithes, of our offerings, of our own time, anything of ourselves, and just throw it at God and think, okay, we've done what we had to do. No, no, no. We honor God with our lives, with our offerings. We give. We give. With a cheerful heart, not a grumbling heart, not a stingy heart. Oh, I just, oh, I can't give. No, we give of our resources, of our times, of ourself, so that God will be honored, you all. We do not bring shame to his name. Move on to chapter 23. 
the appointed festivals. And the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions, instructions to the people of Israel. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as official days for holy assembly. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath day of complete rest, an official day for holy assembly. It is the Lord's Sabbath day, and it will be, it must be observed whether wherever you live. In addition to the Sabbath, these are the Lord's appointed festivals, the official days for holy assembly that are to be celebrated at their proper times each year. The Lord's Passover, the first one, <laughs> begins at sundown on the 14th day of the first month. On the next day, the 15th day of the month, you must begin celebrating the festival of unleavened bread. This festival to the Lord continues for seven days, and during that time, the bread you eat must be made without yeast. On the first day of the festival, all the people must stop their ordinary work and observe an official day for holy assembly. For seven days you must present special gifts to the Lord. On the seventh day, the people must again stop all their ordinary work to observe, observe an official day for holy assembly. The next one, verse 9, the celebration of first harvest. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you enter the land I'm giving you and you harvest its first crops, bring the priest a bundle of grain and from... <clears throat> I'm sorry. A bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain harvest. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest will lift it up before the Lord so it may be accepted on your behalf. On the, that same day, you must sacrifice a one-year-old male lamb with no defects as a burnt offering to the Lord. With it, you must present a grain offering consisting of four quarts of choice flour moistened with olive oil. It will be a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You must also offer one quart of wine as a liquid offering. Do not eat any bread or roasted grain or fresh kernels on the day until you bring this offering to the Lord your God. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. The next one, the festival of harvest. Verse 15, from the day after the Sabbath, the day you bring the bundle of grain to be lifted up as a special offering, count off seven full weeks. Keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days later. Then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From whatever you live, from wherever you live, bring two loaves of bread to be lifted up before the Lord as a special offering. Make these loaves from four quarts of choice flour and bake them with yeast. They will be an offering to the Lord from the first of your crops. Along with the bread, present seven-year-old male lambs with no defects, one young bull, and, and two rams as a burnt offerings to the Lord. These burnt offerings together with the grain offerings and liquid offerings will be a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Then you must offer one male goat as a sin offering and two one-year-old male lambs as a peace offering. The priest will lift up the two lambs as a special offering to the Lord, together with the loaves representing the first of your crops. 
These offerings which are holy to the Lord belong to the priests. That same day will be proclaimed an official day for holy assembly, a day on which you do no ordinary work. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields, and do not pick up what the harvester drops. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord. The next one, the festival of trumpets. Verse 23, the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. On the first day of the appointed month in early autumn, you are to observe a day of complete rest. It will be an official day for holy assembly, a day commemorated with a loud blast of trumpet of a trumpet. You must do no ordinary work on that day. Instead, you are to present special gifts to the Lord. The next one, the Day of Atonement. The Lord said to Moses, Be careful to celebrate the Day of Atonement on the tenth day of the same month, nine days after the Festival of Trumpets. You must observe it, observe, it, observe it as an official day for Holy Assembly, a day to deny yourselves and present special gifts to the Lord. Do no work during that entire day because it is the Day of Atonement. When offerings of purification are made for you, making you right with the Lord your God, all who do not deny themselves that day will be cut off from God's people. And I will destroy anyone among you who does any work on that day. You must not do any work at all. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. This will be a Sabbath day of complete rest for you, and on that day, you must deny yourselves. This day of rest will begin at sundown on the ninth day of the month and extend until sundown on the tenth day. The next one, the, felter, the festival of shelters. Um, verse 33, And the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Begin celebrating the festival of shelters on the fifteenth day of the appointed month, five days after the day of atonement. This festival of the Lord will last for seven days. On the first day of the festival, you must proclaim an official day for holy. This day is an official day for holy assembly when you do no ordinary work. For seven days, you must present special gifts to the Lord. The eighth day is another holy day on which you present your special gifts to the Lord. This will be a solemn occasion, and no ordinary work may be done that day. These are the Lord's appointed festivals. Celebrate them each year as official days for holy assembly by presenting special gifts to the Lord. Burnt offerings, grain offerings, sacrifices, and liquid offerings, each on its proper day. These festivals must be observed in addition to the Lord's regular Sabbath days. And the offerings are in the addition to your personal gifts and offerings you give to fulfill your vows and the voluntary offerings you present to the Lord. Remember that this seven-day festival to the Lord, the festival, the festival of shelters, begins on the 15th day of the appointed month after you have harvested all the produce of the land. The first day and the eighth day of the festival will be days of complete of a complete rest. On the first day, gather branches from magnificent trees, palm fronds, boughs from, boughs from leafy trees, and willows that glow by the stream. 
Then celebrate with joy before the Lord your God for seven days. You must observe this festival to the Lord for seven days every year. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed in the appointed month from the generation to generation. For seven days you must live outside in little shelters. All native-born Israelites must live in shelters. This will remind, look at this, each new generation of, of Israelites that I made their ancestors live in shelters when I rescued them from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses gave the Israelites these instructions regarding the annual festivals of the Lord. That's a lot. But we're not stopping there. We need to see Jesus through these festivals. So let's look for Jesus, you all. The Passover, the first one. This festival represents the last plague in Egypt. When an angel of death passed over the children of Israel who applied the blood of the lamb to their doors. Remember? The Israelites took a bundle of hyssop and dipped it into the blood in the basin at the threshold. Going up, they put it on the the lintel, then touched the two sides of the frames. Can you see the imagery? Bottom to top, side to side. The motion formed a cross. When John the Baptist said, Look, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world, he understood the Old Testament reference. And in the New Testament, we see that Jesus, born in a stable, visited by shepherds, and led to the slaughter, is the Lamb sent for us. His death allows the judgment we deserve to pass over us. When we accept Christ, we accept the loving gift of a second chance. Because of his death on the cross, we have a clean slate. The unleavened bread, the next festival. The seven-day feast begins on the day following the start of Passover. In the haste of the Israelites to leave Egypt, there is no time to add leavened yeast to their bread. During this time, remembering the hardships in Egypt and how God freed them from their captivity, the Jews eat nothing leavened. Leaven often represents sin and decay in the Bible. Once incorporated, yeast becomes an inseparable part of the bread. The same is true for sin's effect in our lives. The Jews were constantly sacrificing unblemished animals to temporarily atone for sin. Only the Messiah, Jesus, the perfect sinless sacrifice, could offer a permanent solution. The unleavened bread represents Jesus' sinless life. He is the only perfect sacrifice for our sins. In John 6, verse 35, Jesus boldly states that He is... The bread of life. Not only does he remove our sins, he nourishes our souls. The third festival, the first fruits. The feast of first fruits is one of three Jewish of one of three Jewish harvest feasts to thank and honor God for all He provided. Although they didn't know it at the time that the, the, they didn't know at the time the children of Israel were celebrating what could become a very important day. 
the priests sacrificed Passover lambs on the 14th day of the month of Nisan. And the first day of Passover was the 15th. The feast of the first fruits was celebrated on the third day, the 16th of Nisan. This third day celebration was the same day that Jesus resurrected from the dead. He represents the first of the great harvest of souls, including you, that will be resurrected to eternal life because of the new covenant of his blood. The fourth festival, the Feast of Weeks, or what we know it as Pentecost. This feast is the second of the three harvest feasts. It occurs exactly seven weeks after the Feast of First Fruits. So it's also called Pentecost, which means 50 days. Traditionally, people expected to bring the first harvest of grain to the Lord, including two leavened loaves of bread. God's plan to save souls included more than the Jews. Through Jesus, this plan was revealed. In Matthew 9, verse 37, Jesus tells his disciples that the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Then he put the plan into place. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he tells them to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. The arrival was the day the church was born, Pentecost. And the harvest began with 3,000 souls. This message spread to both Jews and Gentiles, the two leavened loaves of bread extending the harvest to us. The fifth one, the Feast of Trumpets. In a beautiful declaration, God commands His people to rest. During this time, all regular work is prohibited. Men and women present a food offering to God. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 24, God commands His people to gather and to commemorate the decree with, a, with trumpet blast. On the same front, the sound of a trumpet is associated with the rapture, or the time Jesus will return for his bride. Once he returns, there will be a wedding feast of celebration. Revelation 19 verse 9 says, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. He's preparing us to celebrate. The sixth one, the Day of Atonement. To make atonement, it is, it is to make restitution for wrongs committed. As a day of humility and repentance to God, it was time for the Jews to get their hearts, consciences, and lives right before him. The observant involved the sacrifice of animals as the high priest entered the Holy of Holies. What the high priest did there couldn't offer more than an annual payment for sins. However, hiding in plain sight was the promise of one who could atone for their sins permanently. Where is Jesus and these sacrificed animals? The bull and one of the goats was an offering of thanks, but the scapegoat took on their sins. The, sca the scapegoat was to be bur burdened with all the sins of Israel and then sent into the wilderness. The Jewish leaders condemned Jesus and he burdened and he burdened them, I'm sorry, he, and, he, and he burdened with the sins of all mankind, was led out of the city to be crucified. 
He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the world. The necessity of the Day of Atonement was rendered void by Jesus' death on the cross. Our debt has been paid. And then the final feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. The feast, the feast of booths, or as our translation referred it to as shelters. This celebration always follows the Day of Atonement. The Feast of Tabernacles celebrates God's provision and protection for the people of Israel during their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. For the seven days of the feast, people lived in temporary structures like they did in the wilderness. The Lord himself was with the Israelites in the desert in a tented tented temple called the tabernacle. So the feast also celebrates his presence as his tab- as he tabernacles or dwells with us. Jesus is called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. He put on a temporary tabernacle, a human body, to dwell on this earth and offer himself up as a sacrifice. This feast also points to the promise that God will return and rally with his people in the person of Jesus. And when he does, he has promised that there will be no more death and suffering, that he himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. His return is the final answer to the hope we've carried our entire lives. What a day that will be. Unlike searching for Waldo, in a messy world, we can pray for God's wisdom as we read His Word. Even with the smallest glimpse, oh, I'm sorry, even with the small glimpse into these feasts, we see His intentional love for humanity has endured centuries as He has left us clues that foreshadow the beauty that is to come. The Old Testament has many hidden truths that, in light of the New Testament, Bring a richer understanding to your life in Christ. So remember, he rescued them so that he might be their God and that they would be his people representing him to other nations. As it is with us, we who are in Christ are to do the good works that he has planned for us. We are to be his ambassadors in this world, revealing him as holy requires us to be holy as well. This is our God, you all. It's so amazing. The detail. And ultimately, the hidden treasure that we find in the Old Testament. Jesus. I'm telling you, like I've always told you, no one, no man or no group could put this together. It fits perfectly. Because God has pinned it. And God has kept it. And God is revealing it to you. That's why we don't just treat it as secondary. I'll get to study when I get to study. I'll do when I get... No. This is life. This is who you are now. This is how you're to live. Not again because it's a burden. Not because it's all these requirements. (laughs) No, it's just who you are because your eyes have been opened to see him for who he is. And why would I want to be any other way when I have full access to him, to honor him and to love him 
with my whole being because he first loved me. Oh, it's beautiful, you all. Go to Mark chapter 9, verse 30, and we're going to read through 10, chapter 12. Mark 9, verse 30. Woo! Leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. Remember, I've already told you, we've shifted ever since Jesus asked him that question. Who do people say that I am? Okay, but who do you say that I am? You're the son of the living God. Jesus now begins to shift, teaching them his real reason of coming. After they arrived at Capernaum, and settled in his house, in, in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, What were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which one of them was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve disciples over to him, and said, Whomever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Then he put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. What a great lesson. Remember, these guys at this time, this was before Pentecost, this was before they received the Holy Spirit, they thought Jesus was going to be an earthly king. He was going to come and overthrow Rome and set the Jews free. So who's going to be by his side? Who, who's going to be the greatest? Jesus teaching them an incredible lesson as we need to learn this lesson too. Humility. Stop fighting for position. Stop trying to always to be noticed. Stop always running your mouth. Stop it. Humble yourself and serve. I've always said to you all, could you imagine if we all collectively as the church, rather it's just one or out there, when we all came together, we were outdoing each other, not for pride or for show, but with humility to serve one another. What a beautiful display. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what he did. He served. He was God, you all. And he's serving us. He came to serve. We are his disciples. We are his children. We must represent him. We must serve. We must think of others before we think of ourselves. That is the Christian life. You're to think of others before you think of yourself. Mm -hmm. You're to serve others 
You're to honor God above all. Look at what Jesus is teaching them. And then he does something so incredible. He brings a child in the middle of them. And children of that day really didn't have value. They were looked at as the less than, the least than. And Jesus brings the child in them. And look what he says there. Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. Even to those who feel the least of. No place or no belonging. God says, oh no. You belong. If you're willing to welcome them, you've welcomed me. There's that picture of wholeness. There's that picture of of having value. Society may look down on you and say you have no value. But Jesus says, no. In me, you do. And all who are in me are to be welcomed as such. Oh, that's beautiful, you all. Don't miss that picture. It goes on. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Now, it it amazes me. Jesus was just telling them how to remain low, how to remain humble, how to accept those who are looked down on as least of, accept them in, and right around John's like, they're not part of our group, so we told them, you stop doing that. (laughs) Don't stop him, Jesus said. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. If anyone gives you a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusted me to fall into sin, it will be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gorge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. For everyone will be tested with fire. Salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves. Look at this. And live in peace with each other. (coughs) These are Jesus' words you all. Look at this. I love what he says here. Anyone who is not against us is for us. But look how he begins to transition. 
if you cause one of these little ones, remember the image, someone who now is brought in, who, like us all, have been treated less than out there, but you're brought in, and we cause that person to sin, it's best. Look at the imagery Jesus is saying. It would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. Do you understand the seriousness of tripping up someone else's walk? Y'all, do we get that? We're living out there among people who are feeling despised, rejected, life beating them down. You're calling yourself a Christian. You're, you're sitting underneath the teachings of Christ. And you're causing them to stumble. You're living however you want, not giving any notice of those around you. Pretending to be a Christian and saying nothing and doing nothing. You're causing them. We better, we better get this. We better have a, an understanding of what Jesus is saying. Like, this is serious. Or you're in fellowship with people who quote-unquote, call themselves a Christian and they're not living Christ-like and you're just going along with the behavior because you don't want to rock the boat? Something is wrong. You're to bear witness to Christ. That is your life now. If you're, a, if you're not a Christian, live however you want. Live and do whatever you want. But if you're claiming the name of Christ, you better get this. There is a way in which you are called to live. And then he goes on to, to more descriptive, a more descriptive picture. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, he's not telling them that is what you to do. He's given a descriptive, a, a description of the seriousness of sin and how destructive it is and how you're to be different you're to live differently and did you notice what else he points out in this scripture that a lot of churches nowadays and I use that term lightly you see how the deceptive spirits have worked their way in you see how the demons are teaching even from pulpits and Christian material that there's no more hell as some way we've erased hell. And yet Jesus tells you, uh, where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. It's best that you better do this than to end up there. Come on, you all. This is not a popular teaching 
the Christian teachings, the teachings of Christ, the things of God, are not popular to a dying world. They hate it. They hate Him, they're going to hate you. But you are to live upright. You are to continue to live bearing witness. Don't for, don't shut your ears to that. That's how you're to be living. You are to bear witness. Stop yoking yourself. Stop going along. Stop tripping people up. You better know whom you belong to if you're declaring that you are a Christian. You must have the qualities of salt among you and live in peace with each other. Because if salt loses its flavor, it's not coming back. I hope we're getting this. I hope we're hearing and I hope we're walking away today going, Oh God. Not to remain under condemnation and shame like, oh, poor me, I'm such a horrible Christian. Listen, I told you all, if that is your mindset, you're you're only looking at yourself. Get over yourself. And look to Christ, the one who has cut away your sinful nature. You've got to start applying the truth that you know and encouraging yourself so that in return you can encourage others. It's a way you have to be living. That's why I keep telling you, if your life is not producing other Christians, something is seriously wrong. And it's not to throw a burden upon you. No, it's the reality that something is wrong. Either you are producing Christians or you're tripping them up. You say, well, no, no, that's your job, Rob. That's, that's pastors. That's the missionaries. No, it's everyone's. You're a Christian. You're part of a royal priesthood. We all have different giftings. We all are called to different things, but we have one mission. is to be effective laborers in His harvest. <laughs> to preach the gospel. To live upright with humility and an honor And so I'm challenging us. That's why I told you, I I don't, this place could be one person sitting here. Praise God. It could be a thousand packed somewhere else. Praise God. It doesn't matter. But what matters is, 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 is the truth being upheld. We're not looking just to fill up a building just to have people who just come in and go right back out. Come in and go right back out. And there's no change. There's nothing. I am nervous for churches of large sizes. People come in and they go right back out. Do you know how many Christians that I talk to? And I say that loosely. Whose lives aren't even honoring God. But they sure doing a lot in church. They're doing a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff.
A lot of people are coming in and they check it off. Oh, look, we're productive for the kingdom. And yet the people are remaining ignorant. No, we're not being productive. We're tripping them up. And I say, oh God, open their eyes that they will see. Open the eyes that they will see that this is not to be taken lightly. We want to put on shows for people. Oh, did you hear about the, over in Europe, a place where the gospel is dead. It's hard ground. Oh, you know what they're doing now? And these nice big um, churches, cathedrals, the pastors, the priests are sliding down slides and jumping on stage. They're making it a performance. This is what's going on. To perform, to entertain people. What? They're tripping them up. They're tripping them up. They're not teaching on righteousness. They're not upholding the standard. They're not dealing with sin. They're not setting people out. Saying you cannot be a part. If you want to continue to go that way, go that way. But we must honor God. <laughs> we must honor God. That is our first responsibility to honor God. We don't honor man first. We honor God. <laughs> and now Jesus is about to be confronted. See, during this day and age, there was this controversy going on about divorce. And there were two thoughts from two different religious men, teachers. And so now, the Pharisees are coming to see Jesus. Which side are you taking? Then Jesus left Capernaum and went down to the region of Judea and into the area east of the Jordan River. Once again, crowds gathered around him, and as usual, he was teaching them. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? And Jesus answered them with a question. What did Moses say the law? What did Moses say in the law about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. But Jesus responded, he wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. Wow. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Later, when he was alone with his disciples in the house, they brought up the subject again. He told them, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries someone else, she commits adultery. They came trying to trip him up, and he turned them right back to what they held so dear, the law. They came to him trying to trip him up. So he turned it right back around on them. What does Moses say? Oh, well, Moses first, it's ha, ah, because of your hard heart. Let me point it back to me. God made them 
male and female from the beginning of creation. And notice what Jesus did here. He said male and female. Doesn't matter how the deceptive spirits want to work in, the demons want to come in and start twisting marriage. Doesn't matter what the world's trying to do to identify marriage and their imagery. It could be this, it could be that, it could be this, it could be that, it could be this, it could be that, it could be this, it could be that. God never said anything in his word about men can't marry men and women can't marry women. Oh, yes, he did. He was specific. He was specific. See, God's truth doesn't change because culture changes. Now, people can live however they want. They can do whatever they want. But the church is to remain set apart. The church shouldn't be fasting and praying and having months worth of meetings to figure out how to deal with the topic, topic of gay marriage. And now look what's coming in. So churches, and I use that term loosely because they're religious systems, they're not the true church of Christ, have now exalted gay marriage, they're, they're appointing gay bishops and gay priests and everything else. And what I find interesting in this promotion of this is that they don't even have the decency to remain true to anything of God's truth. So They've already dismissed the fact of creation. But now they step up in the pulpit and they go, God is a woman. They now began to twist the teachings of everything because the truth, and I use that term loosely, that they have promoted does not fit with God's standard. So what do they have to do then? They had to make everything a lie. Oh, don't forget what we read in the beginning. Those lying, deceptive spirits. People began to fall away from the true faith and follow the doctrines of demons. And we want to take our Christian walk eh, here today, gone tomorrow. I'll be in, I'll be out. Here, there, nowhere else. And I'm not even getting grounded in what I know. You are going to be swept away. Your roots are to get down into Christ. You're to draw nourishment from Him so that you can stand and be about your Father's business. So when you're confronted with these crazy questions, you know how to turn it right back around as Jesus did and say, look at yourself. And then look to God. Because in and of yourself, you got nothing. What did Moses say about it? Did you realize he did that? He conceded because of your hard hearts. Marriage is to be honored. And as the church, it saddens me that marriage in church 
in this day and age is not honored. We have more divorce rates than the world. We've got people doing things and everything and slapping marriage on it. And that discredits what God presented from the beginning that a man would leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. The two will be united as one. And then let me end it here because I could spend forever on marriage lest we forget too what the example of marriage is to be to the lost. The love of Jesus and his bride. That's the standard for marriage. That that's whom we are representing. The uniting of Jesus and the church. We're to honor him in this. Go to Psalm, we're wrapping up. Psalm 44. Psalm 44, verses 1 through 8. And as I've been encouraging us, oh, that we would get into the Psalms, that we would just take a breath, be still, and just kind of just meditate as these, pen, as these words have been penned by men who were seeking and loving God and just facing life. Oh God, we have heard it with our own ears. Our ancestors have told us all you did in their day and days long ago. You drove out the pagan nations by your power and gave the land to our ancestors. You crushed their enemies and set our ancestors free. They did not conquer the land with their swords. It was not their own strong arm that gave them victory. Huh, look at this. It was your right hand and strong arm and the blinding light from your face that helped them, for you loved them. You are my king and my God. You command victories for Israel. Only by your power can we push back our enemies. Only in your name can we trample our foes. I do not trust in my bow. I do not count on my sword to save me. You are the one who gives us victory over our enemies. You disgrace those who hate us. Oh God, we give glory to you all day long and constantly. Praise your name. Wow. And you know when I read this? I say, God, help us as your people in this generation. Because there's a generation that's coming up that have been brought up with the knowledge of God, but they have no clue of who he is. Do you understand what God put in place back in the Old Testament? Even the festivals that we just read about. The older generation was supposed to constantly tell the younger generation of God, of their God, who he is. And I'm afraid we're missing out because the generations before us and even the generations that we are to the generation that coming up, we're not telling them about God. 
We're not telling him, telling them how great he is, how powerful he is. We're not telling them what we've done. We're not testifying of his power, of his goodness, of his holiness. And if we're not telling it, then we're not living it. And if we're not living it, then they see no power. And that's why they turn and they look. Just why I turned, just why you turned and looked for something else or someone else out there to complete you. God, help us to bear witness to how mighty our God is. Because it's in those days and those hours and those moments when you're down and out that you look up. That you look up. I will not put my hope in what I can accomplish or do myself. I will not get dismayed or discouraged because it seems like everything is pressing in around me. No, God, I will remember that you are God and God alone. And then you just begin to to speak forth the things that you call upon, the things that he's done in your life, the things that he's done in others' life, the things that he's done all the way back here with his people, setting them aside, delivering them. Oh, before you know it, you've you've worked yourself up into a beautiful praise and to worship. And you're able to move forward instead of being shackled and chained by the enemy of your soul. Oh, we must live this, you all. Go to Proverbs, where we're ending. Chapter 10, verse 19, and oh, all of them are good, but today, oh. yes. <laughs> you better take this proverb, this nugget of wisdom you're getting today, and live it out. Too much talk, Proverbs 10, verse 19, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible, be wise, <laughs> and keep your mouth shut. Too much talk leads to sin. Be wise. Be sensible. And keep your mouth shut. Oh, yes, that we would follow this advice, this wisdom. You don't always have to give your opinion. You don't always have to say what you think you got to say. Because you've got to prove something. No, just shut up. Be wise. Because a lot of times when we want to speak, or a lot of times when we want to give an opinion, a lot of times when we want to just say, we're reacting. We're, we're, we're trying to push back on the very thing that you in and of yourself have no power over. So shut up. Be wise. Be prayerful. Be mindful. Be discerning, be as innocent as a dove and wise as a serpent, and recognize that not everything needs your opinion to be stated. Well, how are they going to know? Remember, the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. You just practicing self-control, you just practicing taking things to prayer, Instead of thinking you always got to say and give an opinion. I've, I've always told you all, you run your mouth so much and you pray so less. Yes. 
learn to live in the newness of your the creation that you are in Christ and learn how to begin to take things to prayer. Get in agreement with God's word. Begin to speak over it in prayer and trust that God will be vindicated. Not you. It's all that we would go forth from this day encouraged to live a life that is in agreement with God's wisdom and not with the lies of Satan. Amen? Amen. We'll close in worship and then I'll close this in prayer.